Recruiting Blitz Podcast, powered by the UC Report, is back, episode 10, and we are joined by our partner in crime and ESPN Recruiting, National Director Tom Luganville, joins us to break down the ESPN Junior 300 release, as well as some other prospects to know, and we also talk open jobs and which are the best by recruiting, and yeehaw, Wade Jirasi is here with his recruiting rabbit. Wade, we have finally made episode 10, so big blockbuster this week. Double digits. We'll go. take a retrospective look back, <laughs> lots of guests, uh, take a look at how prices were when we first started. Uh, gas was still freaking expensive. No, so 10 in, um, and when we started this with a dream to bring about more recruiting information, obviously a guest we always wanted to have on, finally reached today, a lot of calls, a lot of hangups, a lot of agents. PR people for some reason at one point is Gardner but uh <laughs> after after 20 minutes talking about it Azalea's we finally uh, uh <laughs> our our partner in crime and national director of recruiting for ESPN uh Tom Lugabill on the recruiting blitz podcast welcome Tom uh thanks guys you know it's only been 10 episodes but uh glad to finally get the call yeah. I, I I had to talk well first of all my gardener told the housekeeper, who then in turn told the Uber driver, who then passed along, all right, to the DoorDash driver, who was delivering for my daughter, that you guys were trying to get a hold of me. Yes. Uh, well, it was sometimes wor- working hard in times that the result is worth it. And uh, <laughs> there we go. Multiple calls. Here we are. Here we are. So good to be with you guys. And- could not be a better time because last week uh, we released the ESPN Junior 300, the second edition of that. Uh, still a long way to go, obviously, the 2024 class, but uh, we post every Thursday and the rankings came out Friday. Yeah. We had a little special uh, sneak peek with Michael Van Buren, who joined us last week. If you missed that, uh, go back. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff there from the talented new five-star quarterback, but want to dive a little bit deeper into the junior 300 and really kind of staying with that theme because I, I don't know about you, Tom, but we've talked about it. 2023 quarterback class on paper. Obviously they still got to go to college and prove it. It's probably the best, at least at the top since we first started with that 06 group that had Matthew Stafford and, and Tim Tebow. Um, so now recruiting can often be cyclical. You have ups and downs, but I think it was maybe the first time that we've had probably the, back-to-back years of potentially really strong quarterback classes. Before we dig a little bit deeper into some of the individual quarterbacks, I mean, what's your kind of thoughts on this 24 group early on? Yeah, I know it's rare for us, as you guys know, to have this many quarterbacks, you know, let's just say within the top 10 or the top five, because it, you know, it, it is a stretch. There are unknown variables and all of these kids are, are, are physically talented, but there's just too many things you don't know. We, you know, you don't know about the fit. You don't know if they've chosen the right place, all of those sorts of things. But as far as skill is concerned, um, obviously the notoriety from a name perspective as it relates to, to Arch Manning. But overall skill set, um, there there's some guys, you know, I, I look at Dante Moore right now and I look at the current state of Oregon's quarterback room. I mean, he may be the one guy that finds himself in a position to play right away. Now, Caleb Williams still has another year at SC. So Malachi Nelson, he's 
uh, going to sit, which is a good thing. I think that needs to happen. And so um, I think there's some college-capable play right away, guys, um, w- within this class. And it will be interesting to see kind of who gets the opportunity because it's different everybody, everywhere for, for everybody. And then I think the thing to, to watch, maybe more so now than ever before, is if a guy's not playing right away, if we fast forward to a year from now or 18 months from now, what does that player do? Yeah. Does he stick around and battle, right? Does he fight? Does he scrap? Does he compete? Or does he take his ball and go home? And then all of a sudden the cycle starts over for him again. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too is talking about some opportunity. Uh, you're going to be uh, on the call for the Bedlam game this weekend. You can make <laughs> a point. You can make an argument that at points this season, uh, Jackson Arnold could have played for Oklahoma this year uh right now yeah Yeah. (laughs) um there i mean all you have to do is look at the texas game and the outcome and watch oklahoma's first series on offense i mean they come into the game and it's like all right can somebody take a snap uh could we potentially wildcat this thing for four quarters and somehow have a chance to stay in it i mean that's what the dearth of of depth is that quarterback there. I mean, think about it. Caleb Williams goes to SC. Spencer Rattler goes to South Carolina. And Tanner Mordecai goes to SMU. I mean, what is Brent Venables to do? So there's no question that Jackson Arnold is going to find himself in a position to really, really have an opportunity to for them to build the offense around him. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you watch what he did on the ESPN High School Football Showcase, it's only going to make Sooner fans uh, salivate more with the way that he played on national television against Allen which on through the air and with his legs as well. Um, but moving forward to the 24 class, you feel like it's not seeming like there's going to be much of a dip potentially. I got to be honest with you. I'm not so sure that from a complete like top to bottom competitive depth, the 24 may not be slightly better. Um, and in all shapes and sizes, different types of guys, you know, a CJ Carr is a totally different player than a Michael Van Buren, right? Um, it's just, it's one of those classes where if you need an athlete, there's an athlete. If you need a guy that's a thrower that happens to be a great athlete, there's one of those. If you need a guy that, you know, is just going to win with his, his mind and his arm, there, there are those types of guys. There's undersized guys. I think that's the one thing, too, now that we've all got to get past is, it doesn't matter what a guy measures in at anymore. It oh. used to matter so much. Yeah. And and now it, it it doesn't. It just and and I don't think we're ever going back the way offensive football has has evolved. And and like honestly, guys, when you look at a, a Julian Sayan, you look uh, at a Michael Van Buren, 15, 20 years ago, I mean, even when we started in on this thing in the 2006 class, those guys were not getting recruited by power five schools. They would not take it, but yeah, Bryce Young. Yeah. All right. So Kyler Murray, I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. You just, there was this stigma about it. And now to be honest with you, I think it's what's led to more highly touted, highly regarded, highly recruited quarterbacks in terms of bulk numbers, which both the 23 and 24 class have because nobody's worried about whether the guy's six, three anymore. So guys that are talented enough are now in the same conversation with the guy who's talented and has the measurables, which all that does is create more opportunities for everybody. Yeah. So Tom, you had mentioned about um, this class potentially being as deep from top to bottom, or maybe even a little better than the 2023 class. We've got seven quarterbacks in the top 40 of the ESPN junior 300. So I've got them listed down here. I kind of wanted to, you know, list them off and uh, give us your quick take on each guy. 
Of course, it starts with number one, Dylan Rayola out of Jamler, Arizona, the Ohio State commit. So I got to defer a little bit to Craig on this one because I actually got to visit with him when he was at Nebraska the day after Craig, you broadcasted their game. Yeah. They had a loss and they weren't throwing it around all over the place, right? It just no, seems like they were trying. It was one of these games where we, you know, we rolled into town for the two ESPN junior 300 quarterbacks and <laughs> yeah. we stayed for the defense. It was really yeah. good defense. Right. You know, I think, you know, a lot of times too is I think you'll agree. You, I learn more in those games when a player loses than when they win. You know, maybe right. if it's a close win, but a lot of times when a guy's highly touted, like a Dylan Raiola is, sometimes you learn more from them in a loss and never lost his composure. Uh, mm -hmm. He came into that game completing about 70%. Um, yeah. But they were doing a really good job creating pressure on him, talking about Basher, their, their opponent that night. Yeah. Uh, but he's a really poised kid. I mean, you think about it too. He, he at one point early on was a defensive lineman who converted <laughs> a quarterback, which is going against traffic. But, you know, when I'm sure when you saw him, he's a he's an impressive looking kid on the hook. Yes. And he's he is. He kind of reminds me of Eli Holstein. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, in, in terms of stature and, yeah. and arm talent as well. And in arm strength, he's just, he's mature. He's physically advanced. Obviously that's why you draw so much early attention, but yeah, Wade, I think that he's, he's one of those guys, you know, sometimes you come across a guy and you say, okay, that guy would have been ranked probably here two classes ago yeah. with the <laughs> skill set that he has now. Right. So I think he's kind of in that conversation sometimes. Uh, we already touched on him briefly, but coming in at number 10, a new five-star uh, St. Francis Academy's signal caller is Michael Van Buren. You just referenced Bryce Young, you know, in, in terms of size and stature and the fact that the guy just, he's a scrapper, man. I think some of this too, for all of us, which is fun, um, as we talk about these quarterbacks is with the underclassmen report, the UC report, and we're doing it with positions across the board, but as we're focusing on quarterbacks here, is like sometimes the first time we see these guys, they're either in eighth grade yeah. or they're in ninth grade, and they're already playing varsity, right? And so you see that, and you're trying to say, okay, how do we project forward? Well, you would see Michael Van Buren, and you would realize, okay, this kid's probably never going to be a big kid. So we got to get past that. Yeah. But then you started to watch him play and watch him perform and see how he stacked up against kids that were older, bigger, faster, stronger, and more, more mature. And the game's not too big or fast for him. I think that's what kind of stood out about him early. Next guy going down the list is number 12, another five-star, DJ Lagway out of Willis, Texas. Uh, he recently told on threes Hayes Fawcett that he's going to announce his decision on Wednesday, December 7th, top 10 of Alabama, Arkansas, Baylor, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and USC. So we might as well just list all the best programs in the country right there. Indications look like it could be the Gators for him. And he's also a two-sport guy, hopes to play baseball at the next level. Well, Wade and Craig, when we were kind of going over our, our, our recent update here, I, and not to base everything on statistics because everybody's playing in a different conference against different levels of competition, and, and they're playing in different schemes. But that guy statistically – having a monster year. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you can ask for more than what he's done through the air on the ground. And by the way, I'm working on something on that December 7th uh, date, trying to see if we can get something done on, on our airwaves. Uh, went back and forth with DJ actually yesterday on Instagram, trying to see what we could come up with. But I think he's one of the most physically impressive uh, 
overall talents of the entire group just because he's a multi-sport athlete and he's as dangerous with his legs as he is with his arm. And, and Craig, you'll back me up on this one, came and worked out completely and fully while he was injured. Came to one of our camps and combines and still performed, still went out there. He didn't even need to show up, right? So, I mean, yeah. kind of tells you an awful lot about him. Yeah, no, I was going to bring that point up that it came to the Houston uh, lead under class camp. And, yeah, I mean, he was injured, but when it came time to throw, he went out there and he threw and and kind of, you know, and, again, you – as you as you know as well as I do, Tom, it's it's one thing to be talented; it's another thing to love the game and want to compete. Yeah, and it's a little window into a guy who's like, again, didn't have a lot to prove, but he's like, "There's a football being thrown around. I'm going to go throw it too." Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right. Maybe show him better than the other guys throwing the football. <laughs> yeah. And so you know that closes out the five star guys in this group, but still in that elite power five range, number twenty four in the country, the recent uh, Alabama verbal commit, Julian Sand out of Carlsbad, California. He's, he's the guy that I kind of label with the gunslinger, riverboat gambler adjectives, you know, not going to wow you, wow you with physical attributes. But um, as far as comparing him to other players in this class, you talk about a, ball, a guy that gets rid of the ball quickly yeah. and a guy that can get rid of the ball with, with alternate arm angles, which I think is really, really important, particularly in today's game. And if you're not a 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", guy, I mean, there's times where you're going to have to throw that ball from down, you know, uh, around your waist. You're going to have to throw it up on top. And it's going to look unorthodox with him sometimes, almost like he's playing in, in, in a sandlot somewhere. But it's also what makes his game great because usually guys that are playing somewhere on the street or in a sandlot are having a lot of fun. Yeah. Lagway has some of those qualities too, obviously with the baseball background. He looks like he's turning two on some of his uh, – Right? <laughs> right. I mean, and, and that's like – that's what Caleb Williams does right now at – SC, that's what Drake May's doing now. Like Drake May's six foot five, and I've seen him throw that football from his hip like he's five foot eight. You know, it's it's unbelievable. By the way, Wade, that's your second warning. Don't ruin this podcast with baseball. Well, hey, no, we you know we, we have so much interest in multi-sport. How many warnings do we get on that back position historically? What? That what? should be a one strike warning. Uh, well, <laughs> you you get three. <laughs> oh, okay. Given that it's baseball. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I see where you went there. Any additional notes about, okay, good. Got it. All right. Just uh, below saying is CJ Carr, the Notre Dame commit. Um, there was some smoke a little bit early on that he may reclass to 2023, but it looks like he's now locked in uh, with the 2024 group. What are your thoughts on him? Uh, really, really powerful passer. Um, a little bit more of your traditional within the pocket thrower. Um We've had him, uh, we've timed him, all of those sorts of things. He's not going to, you know, wow you with athleticism and things of that nature. But if you stacked him up against the throwers in this class, he's up there with all of them. Number 35 is Jaden Davis from Providence Day in uh, North Carolina. And if I remember correctly, this is one of those guys like Van Buren who you probably saw eighth grade or freshman film on from years ago. Uh, he's uncommitted right now. Looks like Michigan could be in the driver's seat for him. Of course, he has offers from just about all the top programs. In the yeah, and he recently transferred to Providence Day with a, a, a private school in the Charlotte area. He was just across the border in South Carolina when we first saw him. And you're right, he was one of those freshman guys that got on the radar quickly, went to a lot of camps and combines, did a good job of, of promotion from a social media perspective. And not to say that he's not going to be a very, very good player. I think he's got the makings of being a very good player. But he's one of those guys that when you saw early, all right, 
very few people kind of matched up with him talent wise. And then all of a sudden you get guys that bloom a little bit later and, and they catch up, right. They catch up. If you would have sat there and said, okay, we're going to rank this class two and a half years ago off of where a guy had gotten physically earlier than other people, you probably would have said he would have been the number one overall player in the class. And then you let them all catch up a little bit and things start to even out. Rounding out the top 40 at number uh, 37 is IMG's quarterback, uh, Jaden Bradford. He recently uh, tweeted that he's going to release a top four. Doesn't have the longest offer list in the country. Georgia Tech, Louisville, Missouri, NC State, Penn State, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Virginia Tech. But a guy, obviously, you're very fond of. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, with him, that he's not only talented, but he's accustomed to playing with really good players around him. I think, you know, so much of the quarterback position, too, is is you got to make that steep jump right and and it is steep and most normal high school teams and they're not a normal high school team or you're going to be playing with normal everyday high school players <laughs> at least he's going to have a taste of understanding the speed of the game how things got to be ramped up timing anticipation when to use his athleticism but also the understanding of how to use the pieces around him where it doesn't all have to be about him and that's a luxury he's going to have leaving high school going into college that the vast majority, 99% of kids, they don't have that luxury. And, uh, and when I saw him earlier this year when IMG played Central High School in Alabama, they he got off to a rough start, put the ball on the ground a few times, and they just ran the ball and played within the system, which is, like I said, sometimes not try to do too much, but just, especially right. when you're surrounded by talent. Like if you got a, oh, man. several FBS linemen and a five-star running back, just hand it off. Yeah. So we went through some of the top quarterbacks, um, you know, toward the top of that junior 300. But, Lugs, I know there's a couple guys a little bit lower on the list who are intriguing to you that you wanted to bring up today. So who are those guys maybe, you know, we're not seeing in the top 50, top 150, down further on the junior 300 that are intriguing to you? Yeah, a, a few of them. I've got three of them. Starting off with uh, Kylan Fox. He's our number 250th ranked uh, athlete. He's probably going to project to a tight end H-back type of guy. But the reason why, and, and I love this time of year, let me preface it. I love this time of year because this time of year for me, going on the road each and every week, and you get to visit with these various different coaching staffs and kind of what they're looking for, and you start to get a, a much better sense of, okay, the, the, the repetitive word you hear from everybody is length, 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 and more length. <laughs> and they don't care how much they weigh right now, right? And so – athleticism, speed, agility, change of direction, flexibility. Can you bend? And if you happen to be 205, so be it. All right. We're not worried about that right now, which he is. And so, but I I like that because I think there's a high ceiling for development. Um, Ronnie Royal. All right. I think the other thing that I've, I've kind of changed my outlook on a little bit here is the height of the wide receiver position. All right having to be a certain 5'11", 6 foot, 6'1 plus. And listen, we'd all love to have that, right? But then I go and I watch a team like I'm preparing for this week in, in Oklahoma State. And, you know, they're one of those developmental programs where they identify a guy and he becomes a great player. We could go over countless Oklahoma State Cowboys that were high-end three stars, maybe not even a four-star, that played at a five-star level in college. But they've got like Brendan Presley, 5'9", 175. And you, and you start to see um, Amario Williams, who was, you know, 5'10", that's now uh, at USC. And I guess the point that I'm making is 
the slot receiver, the way the spread offense is utilized, the the jet sweep bubble game, and then how those guys can be implemented in the kicking game. I, I think it neutralizes a little bit of that lack of ideal measurables. And I think this kid can really run. And if he was taller, right, you'd probably have 10 more power five offers on him. But somebody's going to get a really, really good player that may not have ideal height. It doesn't mean he's not going to be an elite player. And then um, Samaj Jones, um, I, I wrote in my report, my initial report on him, the, the quarterback. Now, could he end up being a tailback? Maybe. He's just under 6'1". He's already about 215 pounds. When you look at him, and he does a lot of stuff with quarterback run, he kind of looks like a tailback. And you think that, okay, well, maybe that's where he's going to move. And then you watch him throw it, and he can rip football. I mean, he really can. And I had written in there, he kind of reminds me of what Jalen Hurts looked like when he was going in from his sophomore to his junior year. Kind of off the radar, raw, obviously very athletic. Needed some time to develop and polish and hone some of the tools. And I see some of those uh, the traits as well with, with Samaje Jones. Yeah, I've done two St. Joseph's preps games and one in each of the previous years. And, I mean, even when physically he's kind of got that thick build like yeah. Jalen Hurts, he was kind of a weight room uh, guy. And so much so, too, and that, that comparison hasn't fallen short on him either. He got a chance to talk to him this offseason before the kickoff weekend. He said he went and actually – got a chance to go see Jalen practice uh, one oh, wow. day a little bit with the Eagles there. So, I mean, it's fitting that he's in Philly and Jalen's a Philly quarterback and those two <laughs> do very much kind of mirror each other. And you're right. He's, I, I don't, I think he'll be a quarterback. I mean, at the very least or an outstanding group of five quarterback, if somebody doesn't want to buy into, if somebody wants to, just, right. as you, as you talked about earlier, if there's schools that refuse to look past the size, you know, you're going to get a heck of a quarterback, but yeah, I mean, he's, and again, another one of those players on a really talented team has played in a lot of big games, uh, right. a good opponent. So yeah, he's a guy a year ago has impressed me has continued to as well. And now uh, Luke, you mentioned, uh, you know, maybe the, the move to running back, if it doesn't work out, we had him track around 20.6 miles an hour at 210 pounds. That's like, screaming from a trade perspective right there with, you know, a big running back that can really move one thing oh, uh, yeah. back to Ronnie Royal. He had mentioned earlier, 49 total touchdowns the last two years. This year, That's he had 1,000 rush <laughs> and uh, down here, receiving yards. So, you know, being able to use him in a variety of ways, he's, you know, he's certainly shown that at the high school level. Yeah, I mean, he's productive. And I'll tell you another thing, guys. Um, I know we're going to get into a couple of 2023 things. I had uh, Ole Miss earlier in the year versus Georgia Tech. And this was when... Quinshawn Judkins started to kind of come on a little bit. Zach Evans was healthy. He's the go-to guy. They bring him Quinshawn Judkins, and he was kind of the supplement. And now we've all seen what he's become. And I went back and I was like, you know, why did we not have this guy higher? Right? Because we had him as a four-star, but we didn't have him in the ESPN 300. And I went back and I looked and I saw his times. You guys know what he ran? Ran like a 4.87. Laser to laser, right? That ain't good. And, but what it did, it really made me sit back and rethink whether or not we should have that be a huge, gigantic focus. You guys remember Damian Pierce? Yeah. He was a uh, Alabama back that ended up yeah. going to Florida and now playing in the National Football League. He was a 4.79 guy. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get a little bit too caught up in that at the running back position and it's maybe kind of sit back and go, okay, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to make big runs in spurts. They're going to break through arm tackles. They're going to display contact balance. They'll probably make the first defender miss. And you might spit out a, a 15, 18, 21 yard run. And then you go watch that guy. He's not ripping off 60 yard runs. He's not ripping off 70 yard runs. He's doing exactly what we just outlined. And he's probably going to be the premier freshman running back in college football this year. And it's just, I made a note of it when I was preparing for that game saying, all right, maybe that's an area that we need to kind of sit back and not put too much stock in for that particular position. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, you tell that story and it can go back to the beginning of the discussion with the evolution of the quarterbacks. At some point, somebody looks past somebody's size, sees the production. The next thing you know, yes. something blossoms. And I mean, I know personally, I go back to Aaron Donald when he came out in 2010, like a high 79. Like if you think at that Only point, a couple offers was yeah. a four star. But I was like, this guy's too short. And, you know, yeah. everything about him, it was short. And, you know, go back, kick yourself and be like, oh, you, you know, as it says in, you know, what is that vampire movie with Brad Pitt? You know, you lack the courage of your convictions. You know, yeah. there's one where it's like, all right, I'm going to learn this lesson the hard way. But, you know, I don't care if he's short. If you're not explosive. <laughs> you're yeah. Going, you're going into 300. And for your future uh, 24 and 25 class prospects out there, I know Luganville mentioned the bad 40 time at one of our Under Armour events. Judkins also couldn't crack 12 seconds in the 100 meter. So we're going to back up a little bit. We weren't the dream crushers alone on that one. With that. Yeah. <laughs> <It's ranked. laughs> and, and again, and again, all right, Lane Kiffin saw something. You know, this guy wasn't offered by everybody, right? And, and it's just another, it's another example. There are so many guys out there and there's a place, yeah, it, there's a place for a lot of these guys and it may not always be Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson or what have you, but you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. And, uh, uh, just on the 2024 class as well, the ESPN 300, Tom and myself wrote an article that's on the recruiting page on ESPN.com. We go a little bit deeper and some other players of the three new far, uh, five stars. We covered two of them, the quarterbacks, Jeremiah Smith's another one. We also talked about some other rises amongst that group. I know Brandon Hood, the running back's a, a player that you liked a lot in terms of uh, measurables. We talked about the guy who has the speed. Uh, and the versatility. Um, so go to ESPN.com. Tom and myself dig a little bit deeper into the ESPN Junior 300 with some write-ups on some of the new entries within that group. And then, you know, Tom had just mentioned there's a place for everybody and transitioning to some of the 23s who you wanted to highlight a little bit. Um, you got three guys at schools that, you know, play well in the field, but maybe always aren't atop the recruiting rankings, and they've got some interest. Right. Yeah, I would start out with the the what I think is going to be a running back in Caden Began, who's verbally committed to Illinois. I think we all would agree that <clears throat> Brett Bielema has done a remarkable job there. And having had their game versus Nebraska, I actually had a chance to talk with with Coach Bielema about that particular kid. And we were just talking about the overall strength of, of the state of Illinois and um, you know, the, the player pool and how important it is to keep him at home. But I mean, that's a guy who's six foot two, 220, ran sub four seven at that weight, laser to laser. All right. That's moving. Now, he's not always twitchy or sudden. I think Illinois is going to play him at running back. But I mean, he is, he is a big athletic kid that could be a huge steal for them if, if they can keep him 
um, in state uh, as a verbal commitment. You know, we just got done, talk, done talking about uh, Quinshaw Judkins, uh, Michael Mitchell. Um, I, the reason why I picked him out, he's verbally committed to Utah. Kind of look at how Utah recruits and identifies, and they've had a lot of success with some really good football players at running back. None of them would be labeled as Blazers, right? Uh, this kid actually did run pretty well um, as, as far as what you'd like to see, but he's kind of the, the physical mentality that Utah has, not just as an offense, but as an overall program. So again, the fit, maybe not SC and everybody else just jumping on board, but here you've got this Utah program that knows exactly who they are, what they're locating. They go out and get it. They develop it. And then poof, you're sitting there and you're, you know, you're a contender in the conference. And then he's from, uh, this, he's from Florida where they've had a lot of success. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Big time. And then lastly, and I picked this one cause I think it's a bit interesting um, because of where he's committed to and the type of quarterback he is. And that's Chris Parson. He's verbally committed to Florida State, a bit undersized, but this is going to be the first iteration that we have seen under Mike Leach's tutelage that's going to feature an athlete at quarterback. And I really feel strongly that the Lincoln Rileys and the Cliff Kingsburys of the world have really pushed Mike Leach to this, to this point and this decision by saying, listen, you think the air raid's tough to stop throwing the ball. You should try it with a guy that can take off and run. You know, you should try it with a guy that can be a part of your run game. And now all of a sudden, you're not just throw it all over the lot. You have an answer from the quarterback position, either as a designated runner or if things break down. He's never had that, guys. I mean, you can go all the way back to Tim Couch at Kentucky, all right, probably further back than that. And all of them have been pocket guys, guys that are going to win with their arm. They're going to win with their eyes and their mind. But now, all of a sudden, you get into the SEC. You're playing defensive fronts that can overwhelm you. What's that X factor, right? What's that great equalizer? And I think it's going to be excited to see how this guy fits. What does Mike Leach do with him? Because he's never, we've never seen this before. And I just think it's a really cool marriage. It's going to be fun to see how it plays out. And uh, you had... You're talking about Leachy, Mississippi State Committee. I'd mentioned Florida State, originally where, where he yeah. was originally, yeah, committed, originally committed. And yep. since jumped on board there with, with Mississippi State. Yeah, Parsons, another guy who was always willing to come out and compete. I was just yep. clicking around in UC report. He's been to four different Elite 11 and Nike events and two of our events in the last couple of years. So this guy's putting yeah. miles in on the uh, on the camp circuit there. Yeah, big time, add, big time. I'm going to add 123 to the mix here. Uh, kind of hot off the press. We just Got an evaluation in the UC report, and that's Ryland Kennedy out of Texas, a, a basketball player who is long and lengthy um, and really impressive. Just picked up Auburn and USC here in the last uh, 24 hours uh, by the time uh, you click on this. But he's a player who's, again, the recruiting calendar is really accelerated. We talked about Tom players that we may see in eighth or ninth grade, which is mind-blowing. But here we are. I know late in the 2023 process, less than a month away from the early signing period. And here's a guy like a, a Ryland Kennedy out of Texas, a long edge defender who's really just starting to blow up on the scene. So it reminds me a lot of Josh Jacobs when he was, before he went to Alabama at, at Oklahoma, he was. Dude, how about Chris Jones? Yeah. Remember Chris Jones? Yeah. yeah. Chris, like, how are you Chris Jones with that stature 
and get recruited or or lack thereof yeah. like chris jones right and again it's just further evidence they're out there man yeah. and and you just mentioned the basketball player part of it craig i mean that to me is huge because now you have such a high scene for development you haven't even focused fully on football yet yeah so that's a name to know here uh late in the process uh so great insight there on the junior 300 uh in our remaining time here just want to kind of obviously uh, intimately involved with everything that goes on in recruiting, but as you said, uh, still uh, calling games uh, every week for ESPN on the college circuit. So there's six Power Five jobs open. Um, just curious, your quick thoughts as I as I kind of run them off. Maybe which three you think are the best from a recruiting standpoint? Wade and myself had gone through this a, a few weeks ago. There's been a few more additions, Auburn being the notable one, which mm-hmm. I think you and I would agree would probably push down to the top of our list but you got Auburn Nebraska Wisconsin Arizona State Georgia Tech Colorado kind of of those six which three kind of jump out to you with more of a lean towards the recruiting Auburn's at one um I still think there's opportunities at Arizona State um uh they're gonna have to dig out of a big hole because one's coming um Georgia Tech could be because you can throw a rock outside the office and boink a great player in the head in any direction that you throw it. (laughs) Um, Obviously, there's some academic challenges there. Um, You know, we've talked a lot uh, throughout the years about the Nebraska job, uh, about the Wisconsin job, difficulties, the Colorado job. I think to me, the reason why Auburn jumps to the top of the list is as an institution, they have every available resource to do whatever they want to do to be a championship level program, not only internally, but externally, because now we're in the transfer portal world. We're in the name, image and likeness world, and not all programs are created equal. So from just from that standpoint, staffing, manpower, um, student assistants breaking down film. I'm a, a graphics department. Like there's going to be, I, I think a place like a Colorado, um, they're, they're going to have to make some institutional decisions on what they want to be. I think Georgia Tech does too. I think Georgia Tech's going to have to make some decisions on, all right, where, where, where do we see ourselves in the hierarchy of the ACC, but nationally, because that, that program over last 50 some odd years has had national acclaim. I mean, for crying out loud, John Heisman was there. Um, it's the oldest. It's the oldest original Division One football stadium structure in college football. I mean, there's 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 a lot in the history there, but this is the now, and the now needs to. You, you got you better start dancing with the big boys if if you want to compete on the field. I'll say this about the Nebraska thing, though. Of all the programs, including Auburn, if you took that program lifted it out of Lincoln, Nebraska, <laughs> shifted it and plopped it right down into Tupelo, Mississippi, or you plopped it right down into Troy, Alabama, or Macon, Georgia, you would have a top four or five program in college football every single year. Because if oh, yeah. they can get a kid on campus, they got a shot. We'll call two guys in a truck. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. All right. That's their biggest problem is it's like they say in real estate, location, location, location. Yeah. Never, never question the passion, never question the fan base, never question the resources. Never. never question 
the location. Let me ask you this, because this is where me and Wade disagree. I actually, you have to go in with a certain mindset and, and you're going to have to stick to the blueprint. But I would, I think because of the location, I actually think if I had to choose, Wisconsin is a better job than Nebraska, even from a recruiting standpoint. I, I would probably agree because your your proximity to players in bordering states yeah. is far greater than the proximity to players in the bordering states that border Nebraska. I mean, think about it, guys. Wyoming, yeah. South yeah. Dakota, okay, yeah. the, the edge of Colorado, yeah. Kansas, Kansas. Yeah. Iowa, yeah. right? And then you border on Oklahoma that's got Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Yeah. I mean, what what are you going to – it's just – so you're not just going out of your state. You're skipping over a state to get to a second state yeah. or a third state or so on and so forth. And and in today's climate of kids getting on campus as freshmen and sophomores in an unofficial capacity when they can get in their car and drive, right? Like even if, if you're if you're in Chicago area or, or you know, you're in uh, – northern indiana or what have you you could drive and, and go take an unofficial visit yeah you know to to wisconsin that's i'll never forget i asked davos winnie when the the spring official visit came up so what's your what's your take are you are you going to be taking part in this he goes heck no he goes if there's a great player within 200 yards of this or 200 miles of this campus and they're not willing to drive here on their own we ain't getting them anyway yeah. so i'm sure it's heck not going to waste an official visit on them yeah. and i totally get it right i i mean I, I get it. Now, there's some programs like Nebraska, maybe Wisconsin, that are going to be forced to use yeah. spring visits because how the heck are you supposed to get a head start on everybody if you can't even get that kid on your campus till he's in the fall of his senior year? Yeah, yeah I mean, and, uh, you, you have to you have to fight almost every single battle outside of outside of you. I mean, you're going to get a Malachi Coleman every now and again who's right in your backyard, but you're going to fight yeah. 90% of your battles in everybody else's backyard. I would be curious your opinion on this. So we mentioned the six power five jobs that open Auburn, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Arizona State, Georgia Tech, Colorado. Would you, would you place South Florida above any of those six? <laughs> um, I guess maybe I would. Um, I'm a big footprint guy. The footprint yeah. doesn't get much better. Uh, I do think it hurts them not having an on-campus venue. But it's I really do. I, th I, I know. I know it's coming, and that's no a way, big but... deal. <laughs> I would. I would potentially take that over the Colorado job. Yeah. What's interesting about Colorado too is at one point now, you say it all the time: recruiting is a marathon, not a sprint. Early in the process, Colorado had a top twenty-five class. They know they yeah. don't even. They're not even in the top forty right now. Um, Auburn right now the best job. They're also in the best position. They got ten commits, four in the ESPN three hundred. Nebraska, we talked about Malachi Coleman. They got 15. It's workable. Wisconsin is kind of Wisconsin 13. There'll be work to do. Arizona State, there'll be a lot of work to do. They only got eight commits, zero right. 300 players, all three stars. I, I am intrigued by their quarterback commit, Israel Carter, see if they yeah. can hold on to them. Uh, Georgia Tech, 15. Colorado, 19. Neither of them have any 300 commits. So Auburn also not only probably the most attractive job, but in terms of, uh, I'll have to hit the portal some, but in terms of taking over a class, uh, they are in the best situation, in my opinion. Um, so, but we'll and, see. Yeah. And from a resources standpoint, Auburn's going to be the most attractive transfer portal destination too. If you get the right coach in there, yeah. um, and with their NFL opportunity or NIL opportunities, um, that's going to be a place where you could wave a magic wand pretty quickly and shape up that roster in a hurry.
And you don't, of course, you never want to just, you know, strictly build from the portal, but LSU, Chip Kelly got there. I think they signed 11 or 12 uh, in the regular signing periods. And then they brought in like six or seven more after the spring. Look at Ole Miss, 17 of them. And all of them have been significant contributors. Jackson Dart, Zach Evans, Kari Coleman from TCU, was, I think led the Big 12 in sacks two years ago. Like they went out and identified 17 guys and all of them are playing. Like, and on the defensive side, completely transformed their defense. I mean, that was it's not the same defense they were playing with the last two years. So it can be done now in a way that it could never be done before. Yeah, but they're doing a nice job on a recruiting trail this year, which I yeah. think is you can only work that bridge for so long. And I think he's, Correct. he's used it this year to great effect, as Mel Tucker did oh, was it two years ago. Uh, but you better reverse course and start to build through recruiting as yeah. well or else – you're yeah. going to lose your culture and, and it could be really tough to get back. So it's, it's like Lincoln Riley at SC, what he did on offense had to be done yeah. through the transfer portal. And now next year, he's going to have to do that on defense yeah. and he can focus more on high school and some other areas. Now, defensively, they got to go figure out how to fix that. <laughs> All right, well, this has uh, been awesome. We're coming up on the early signing period here. There's a train going back in the, uh, in the background. <laughs> That's usually our cue. Uh, <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't one of those slow-moving trains. Is that the is that the three p.m. Eastern train? Yeah, because I mean that's what that's what we're embarking on here. Yeah, uh, but always, man, appreciate you. Hopefully, we get you back on before the uh, early signing period or right after. Um, but again, you can catch Tom this weekend. Uh, he'll be on working the Bedlam game and talk a little bit about some of uh, Oregon, uh, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma's recruiting. But so and obviously everything on ESPN.com. So we appreciate you, Tom. All right, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Fun dude. as always. Yeah. There was some big news on the trail this week, but unfortunately for the programs we're about to mention, most of those uh, movements were on the decommitment front, starting off with linebacker Arian Carter, number 282 in the ESPN 300. He decommitted from Memphis. He was a guy who committed to the Tigers uh, this summer, but has been one of the biggest risers this fall picking up offers from virtually every top program in the country. There are some schools in the mix, but it looks like it could be Alabama in the driver's seat. Uh, Daniel Harris, number 157 in the 300, decommitted from Georgia. He visited Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State in June, and it looks like the Nittany Lions could now be the favorite. He's one of the premier height-speed combos in this class at six foot two, and uh, has multiple sub 1100 meters. And we've talked about that defensive back group and that pair of safeties, Elliot Washington, King Mack, would be a great addition for the Nittany Lions, you know, should that prediction come true. Kenny Mincy, quarterback, number 183, decommitted from Pitt. Rumblings that he could land at Notre Dame. And interestingly enough, he's a player we've really liked in the UC report uh, since viewing his sophomore film. Not surprised at a program of the Irish caliber uh, coming after him late in the process. Another decommitment, Under Armour All-American Edge, Rico Walker, number 128 in our rankings. He decommitted from the Tar Heels. His top five this summer was Auburn, Florida, Maryland, North Carolina, and Tennessee. He's a player that we'll see down in Orlando. One of these decommitments was actually a flip. Under Armour All-American quarterback, Jaden Rashada, out of Pittsburgh, California, number 27 in the ESPN 300. He switched his commitment from Miami to Florida and he is now the top-rated recruit in Florida's 2023 class. It wasn't all bad news, it wasn't all decommitments. UCLA picked up their only current ESPN 300 verbal. 
from wide receiver Jeremiah McClure. He's a top 200 player who picked the Bruins over Arizona, Indiana, and Washington. And he's a player whose scouting evaluation maybe exceeds those pure measurables and is a nice pick, uh, piece for Chip Kelly as he looks to continue to put pieces together in his 2023 class. Yeah, their first ESPN 300 pickup, their 10th commit, be interesting to see as the transfer portal uh, opens up here in about roughly two weeks, uh, how active UCLA will be in the transfer market. It's, it's a smaller class, but uh, McClure, big in-state pickup, as you mentioned, in their third four-star, but first in the ESPN 300. And you got to go, you know, going back to Carter, what's interesting, you got to kind of give a hat tip to Memphis for, yeah. for, that, for that, <laughs> that identification early on. And also what we had talked about a little bit uh, earlier with Tom was the recruiting process never really ends. Carter's a guy who's been known, but kind of made a change on to a little bit more focus on the defensive side of the ball and really blossomed as, as a linebacker and, and hence kind of his stock rising. And with Carter too, I mean, there are those guys who are the pure sleepers that you, you know, click on the junior and sophomore film and they look tremendous. And he was an intriguing prospect, but that senior film, he's really popping in a different way than yeah. off that junior film. Recruiting Bliss Podcast, powered by the UC Report. As always, thank you for joining us. Uh, great episode this week. If you missed any previous episodes, go wherever you could find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, etc. cetera. Uh, great interviews in the past like we had with Tom, Luke, and Bill today. And uh, we will be back with more great stuff in the coming weeks.